I trust that as we were singing that, you were not merely singing words, but you were offering that up as a prayer to the Lord, as a commitment. Whatever God shows you this morning from his word, whatever the Holy Spirit shows you in your life specifically needs to be addressed, that you allow the Holy Spirit to address that and that you will cooperate with him in the work of change that he wants to do in your life today. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17 as we continue. I'm really excited about our passage this morning because it's where we get the name of our church from, Berean Baptist Church. We're looking at the Christians in Berea, the work that God did in establishing a church there. But before we do that, I want to stop and I want to take a little bit of time at the beginning to talk a little bit about Ellen Doyle. Ever since uh, I can remember as pastor here, Ellen fought cancer. She's missionary in Cameroon, less than ideal living conditions, and yet she faithfully served the Lord using medicine and, and her gifts of Bible teaching with children and ladies to minister the gospel and to work with mission teams to reach Cameroon for the Lord Jesus Christ. Often we would get notices that she had to fly back to Germany for another taste procedure, another checkup, another scan, all these different things that she went through, some of them very difficult and painful. And she would, if anybody would have had a reason to say, you know, I, I love my time in Africa, but I need to go back to the United States and just recuperate and take care of my health. And there were times when she had to do that for a brief period, but she didn't just quit and say, I'm done. I just can't do ministry anymore on the mission field. Her heart was there in Cameroon. And, of course, it had to change because of her medical condition where she got weaker and needed to be closer to her doctors that she had transferred her ministry to France. And she was really excited about what God was going to be doing and what he was doing, and, and she loved that ministry as well. And so we need to pray for her family. We need to pray for her co-laborers. And we need to pray for God to send out more like her. Now, I'm sure that Ellen's testimony would be Anything that she was able to accomplish was by God's grace, that he gave her the strength. But you know, there was a godly determination on her heart and a passion uh, for gospel ministry. Our theme this year, Nehemiah 4.6, is for the people who had a mind to work. And Ellen had a mind to do the work of God's kingdom. And she stuck at it tenaciously. In spite, of the, in spite of the setbacks, in spite of all that could have detracted from her ministry, she gave God all that she had and she recognized that this cancer was part of God's plan for her life. And so my prayer is that all believers who knew of Ellen's life would be challenged to live their lives in light of eternity and to have a mind to do the work of the ministry. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is still day. The night cometh when no man can work. And that dusk settled on Ellen, on her temporal life. And her mission was accomplished, and her opportunity on this earth was done, and she is now with her Savior. And I pray that that will spur all of us on to more fervently, more joyfully desire to serve God with the time that we have. I also trust that it will be something that God will use to stir the hearts of some young, some maybe not as young, but that will be willing to go to the mission field and to serve the Lord in vocational ministry reaching our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I trust that those that Ellen tried to reach with the gospel through her life, that through her death, God will use that as an instrument that will be that turning point for many 
who will repent of their sin and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who Ellen so eloquently displayed in her own life. Please be praying for the family. Please be praying for the ministry there in France. And let's allow God to challenge us through her life. Now, if you'll look with me in uh, Acts chapter 17, we'll read verses 10 to 15. And we'll get into our message this morning. In Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 10. And the brethren, these are the Thessalonian brethren, immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greek and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people and immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Uh, Berea was about 50 miles from Thessalonica. Thessalonica, as you know, as we looked at last week, was on a major Roman highway, a 700-mile-long Roman highway. But Berea was on, and literally on the other side of Mount Vermion. It was according to Cicero, a town very difficult to access. And yet God directed Paul and Silas to Berea to preach the gospel and to establish a church there. You know, sometimes God sends us to, quote-unquote, unlikely places within his perfect plan. So the admonition this morning, the three main points. First of all, the first admonition is trust God to direct your steps. Trust God to direct your steps. That's what Paul and his brethren were doing at Thessalonica. Now we know that uh, wherever Paul went, we'll look at this towards the end, that uh, when they were chased out of town, Paul didn't just take his whole team and leave. He always left somebody from the team to help further instruct the believers because the Great Commission is more than just proclaiming the gospel and seeing people saved. It is also then to make disciples, to help them to be ground, become grounded in solid biblical doctrine uh, to know uh, what they believe and why they believe it according to the word of God, to equip them to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ can continue to grow and the kingdom of God can spread throughout the world. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37 and verse 23 that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Trust God to direct your steps. Psalm 32 and verse 8. God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. So these three things underneath trusting God to direct your steps. First is timing. That the circumstances were such uh, that, uh, and the concern of the Thessalonian believers played into this. And Jason's bond all these things indicated God's timing for them to move on. Remember in Thessalonica that the Jews stirred up a mom and, and a crowd against Paul and Silas. When they couldn't find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some other believers. They couldn't bring them before the assembly. That is the elected uh, people from within the, the city. But they took them before the two politarchs, the two of Greek officials uh, that helped rule the city. And they made these false accusations against Paul and Silas and attacking Jason and the crowd. As a matter of fact, we looked at last week, 
that they accused Paul and Silas and these Christians of what they themselves were doing. They said they're, they're stirring up trouble. They're turning the world upside down. Yet they're the ones who went out into the marketplace, found these, quote, worthless fellows, these idlers in the marketplace that do anything for a buck, gave them a, an advertising message to stir up trouble against the Christians. And those guys had them all and went to town and stirred up trouble and persecution against Paul and Silas and the believers. And so the circumstances were part of God's guidance. And folks, we don't go by our feelings. We don't go merely by our circumstances. We always go to the word of God and allow the word of God to interpret our circumstances. We look for the word of God for instruction. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But their circumstances, the concern of the Thessalonian believers, they wanted to get Paul out of there right away. And remember, Paul was the one that seemed to be the target uh, by the Jews when they would come and begin to persecute the Christians in any given city. But Jason's bond also was that Jason had to, to pay a bond and that would not be refunded if any more trouble was stirred up. And so uh, Paul and Silas, not wanting to bring any more upon the Thessalonian church, left. So God leads in his t- perfect timing. Also the place, the leading of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just the next city down the main highway. It wasn't, well, Lord, I'm going to go to the next exit, and whatever I find there off the highway, that's where I'm going to start preaching. No, the Holy Spirit directed them there. But there was also a couple of other things. Paul's strategy, what was Paul's strategy? It was to go to an influential city that had a synagogue and to begin to preach the gospel through that synagogue to the Jews and then also to the God-fearing Gentiles. And then reason. You know, folks, God gave us a brain he expects us to use it. All right? And so I believe that all of these things, that God gave Paul wisdom, that the Holy Spirit directed him, and God led him directly to the place where God had him to serve next. It wasn't just hit or miss. It wasn't just panic. All these elements together. And folks, when we are looking to determine God's will and his timing in something and where he wants us to go and what place that we should serve, these are all things that need to come to our consideration. We need to spend time in prayer asking the Spirit of God to lead us. But how does the Spirit of God instruct us? Always according to the scriptures. But God uses godly counsel and God often will use circumstances to cause us to consider and begin to give us direction. And as we think through these things and we learn how to discern circumstances and to discern God's will through his word. And God gives us that perspective and we get godly counsel. God will direct us as to the timing and the place. But I also want you to see uh, method was another part of this. Did Paul abandon his plan because it seemed not to have worked at Thessalonica? In other words, going to the synagogue. No, part of Paul's strategy was to find a city where there was a synagogue uh, because he already culturally knew the people. It was an inroads for the gospel. He would be invited to open up the scriptures and read them and then to begin to preach to them. And so he did not abandon that too quickly. We never want to be overly pragmatic when it comes to to the work of the gospel. Now, that's not wrong to try new ways to share the gospel, but Paul didn't give up on his plan too soon. His method was part of his personal burden. Remember, he said, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Where was the most logical place to go to present the gospel to Jews? In a synagogue. 
And also he was the apostle of the Gentiles and the God-fearing Gentiles who'd been seeking after the one true God would be the most likely Gentiles to listen and even be receptive of the message of the gospel. So it was part of his personal burden. It was strategic and it actually worked during that time period. It was something that we see God continually blessing and using. Methods can change, but not the message of the gospel. We can explore new ways of reaching others with the gospel, of ministering to other believers. Uh, to re- we can retool uh, our methods. We can tweak current methods, but we cannot change the message of the gospel. Uh, I want you to know, though, because even though the, in the application, specifically here in the passage, we're talking about giving the gospel and planting a church, that, that these principles run true in the Christian life. For instance, for instance uh, building a strong marriage. There are biblical principles. Sometimes circumstances dictate our attention to dive into the word of God and to spend time in prayer. Uh, we don't want to always be reactionary. We want to be grounded in the scriptures. But when these things come up, we need to know how to respond to them biblically and how to build godly, strong Christian marriages. That doesn't happen by accident, folks. Godly Christian marriages don't just happen because you come to church and sit in a pew and, quote, do your time, <laughs> right? It is something that you must, you must partner with God and with your spouse to search the scriptures, to pray, to learn, to seek godly counsel, to work on having a godly marriage, rearing children, in ministering to other believers, and in navigating life with a Christ-like testimony. Number two, direct, trust God to direct your thoughts. Look at verses 11 and 12, if you would, with me. In verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about specifically the Jews in the synagogue. These would have been Jews who had not yet believed on Jesus as Messiah. They would still have been under the common notion within Judaism of the day that the law was given for man through good works to establish his own righteousness. Paul comes along by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and proclaims, no, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to God's mercy that he saved us. There is no, Peter said there's, no, there's not salvation uh, in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. And so as Peter and Paul and the apostles are proclaiming these truths, it went against what a lot of these Jews in their preconceived minds and notions had, had been pursuing. But it's interesting here that these unsaved at this point Jews at Berea were more noble-minded than the Thessalonian Jews were. And we'll see why in just a minute. But trust God to direct your thoughts. In Psalm 33 and verse 11, the Bible says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. The truth of God is as applicable to you in 2024 as it was to these Bereans in their day. As the message of the gospel has always been, as the truth of God's word has been throughout all of history, God's wisdom is for all generations. Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. So trust God to direct your thoughts, specifically when it comes to the matter of the gospel and salvation. Trust God 
to prepare the soil of unbelievers' hearts to receive the seed of the gospel. We find, for instance, in Luke chapter 8, remember that Luke was the human writer that the Holy Spirit uh, used uh, to write both the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's really a two-volume series. And in Luke chapter 8, Luke records Christ's parable in verses 5 to 8, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I th- we have seen this as a theme the last few weeks, that one of the things that needs to be impressed on our hearts to be constantly doing is to be praying that God would open up the hearts and minds of those who have not yet believed. And I think also in concert with that, we need to be praying, and God, would you please give me an opportunity today to share the gospel, prepare the hearts of people uh, to be receptive to the seed of the gospel. That's not, the problem is not with the seed. The seed is always good seed. What was the problem? The problem was the ground. And we cannot discern the type of ground. We need to, we need to sow the seed. We need to be purposeful. But it's God that must do the work. But we need to pray that God would prepare the soil, prepare good ground. And then that God would set up divine appointments, that God would bring across our path and bring us across other folks' path, those people whose hearts he has been preparing. That God, in his timing, would direct us in the right time and to the right place, to the right people, to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look, folks, even when the apostle Paul preached... Led of the Spirit, one who was used of God to write many of the epistles in the New Testament. There were some who believed, but there were also some who rejected. When Christ preached, there were some who believed, there were some who rejected. And we expect that too. But folks, we need to believe that some will receive the Word of God. That God is still preparing good soil. The Berean Jews were more noble-minded than the Thessalonian Jews because they not only heard the gospel without prejudice... But they listened with eager interest. Look back at verse 11. The Bible says, These were more noble than they in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. It means that they were eager to learn. They were listening. They were truly objective in their listening. They wanted to hear the truth. Their attitude was, if you are preaching the word of God, then we're open to it. And we need to be praying for God to do that in the hearts of those with whom we're trying to reach. These were no mind, also were more noble-minded because they didn't blindly accept what was said, but they made the scriptures their standard of truth, searching it daily to evaluate the gospel that was proclaimed to them. Look back again in our text. Look in verse 11 of our text. They, they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. What Paul was preaching, they compared with the Old Testament. That's the scriptures that they had to verify that what Paul was preaching within the context of the Old Testament scriptures was the truth, that this was the gospel, that Jesus is Messiah, that he had to die, even as Paul preached. And we see that part of the gospel. Uh, Luke records that essence of the gospel that Paul is preaching to the Thessalonians in the first few verses of chapter 17, that Christ had to suffer and die and rise again from the dead for our sins. He had to be the suffering Messiah. He had to be the sacrifice. Why? Because as Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to have eternal life, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is preaching. And as he is preaching and he's reasoning from the Scriptures, remember we even saw earlier, how did Paul approach the Thessalonians? He opened up the Scriptures. He reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. One of the words we talked about was dialogue. He asked questions. He engaged them in spiritual discussions. And then he, he kept the word, focus on the Word of Christ and his focus on Christ through the scriptures, he relied not on his own authority as an apostle, but on the authority of the written word of God. And he proclaimed Christ through the Old Testament scriptures. And some, a few of the Thessalonian Jews believed, many of the Gentile God-fears at the synagogue believed. And here we see in Berea that many of the Jews in the synagogue believed, along with God-fearing women and men. The word searched... And this, I want to be a challenge because my other part of this is entrusting God to direct your thoughts is that you, if you are a believer, what a great pattern. You think just because the Bereans, once these Berean Jews and Gentiles in searching the scriptures verified what Paul said, they believed. The Bible tells us that they did. But, uh, the Bible says in verse 12, therefore, many of them believed. Do you think that they stopped searching the scriptures just because now they had found Christ through the gospel? No, that, their pattern would have continued. And I want to admonish us that we would also search the Scripture. The word search literally means to sift up and down, to make a careful and exact research as in a legal process. So the idea is of, of looking at the evidence that's going to be in a legal trial and making sure that that evidence is legit and it's within the context of the trial and that it's applicable and purposeful and that it's reliable. The doctrine of Christ, one writer said, does not fear inquiry. Advocates for his cause desire no more than that people will fully and fairly examine whether these things are so or not. And that's what these Berean Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue did. And a host of them believed. Why? Because their hearts and minds were opened to the scriptures. They didn't just take Paul's word for it, though. They searched the scriptures. And what they found was that what the scriptures said lined up with what the apostle Paul was preaching and they believed the gospel. Sanctification, those who believe would have continued to search the scriptures as disciples. In Psalm chapter one, verses one to three, the Bible says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But what? Say it with me if you've memorized it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, it's not a five-minute scan a few verses, pray a quick prayer, run out the door, and never let the word of God be thought again throughout the rest of your day. Folks, spiritual success does not just come even through memorizing the word of God. Memorization of the word of God is a discipline every Christian should be practicing. But memorization of the word of God facilitates meditation. In Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt find thy way uh, prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Folks, we meditate on the word of God. We search the scriptures. We dig into the word of God. I'm so thankful that you're here, and I trust that the admonition of the word of God in corporate worship is challenging to your heart and life transformational. 
But folks, if this is your main diet, then I would strongly encourage you, you need to get into the word daily. And you need to invest time digging in and searching through the scriptures, delighting in it. In Job 23 and verse 12, you know what Job said? I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Most of us like to eat, me included. And we need to eat or we'll die. But you know what? We have an even greater need. And that is the bread of life and the living water. Amen. We need to commune with our Lord. We need to search the scriptures. And we need to digest the truths through meditation and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us into daily application of the scriptures. One author observed, from this, there are three things undeniable. One, that people no less then the ministers of the church are entitled and bound to search the scriptures. That may not seem like anything but obvious to you, but you realize that in the past there were denominations, religions that said, you shall not study the scriptures. You will only let us interpret it for you. It is dangerous for you to read the word of God. Therefore, you should not own a copy of the Word of God. You should not read the Word of God for yourselves. But we see from this passage, and there are others, of course, in the Word of God, that it is every Christian's responsibility to read and to search and to study the Scripture. Second, that they are entitled and bound to judge on their own responsibility whether the teaching they receive from the ministers of the church is according to the Word of God. Notice, not according to their own opinion or their own preference, but according to the Word of God. And then three, that no faith but such as results from personal conviction ought to be demanded or is of any avail. And that's one of my concerns as a pastor is that some of our boys and girls and teenagers may grow up in this church giving a mental acknowledgement and assent without it ever becoming something that they own in their own souls and be a genuine conviction. And they don't have a genuine love and passion for the word of God and of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And if all they're doing is going through the motions and they can give answers in Sunday school and children's church, what is that going to avail them? Knowledge of the scriptures in itself does not avail. You know what James says? Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Do they not know that God's word is true? Sure they do. But do they believe it? Of course not. It's not merely a knowledge of the scriptures or being familiar. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is having a passion for and a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. Why is it then that we don't often have an appetite to sit down at the table with the Lord Jesus Christ and feast on the bread of life and the living water? You know, that's what Jesus says in Revelation to one of the churches. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. What sup? It means to eat. That's where we get our English word for supper, right? That's a little longer word. To sup is the verb form of supper, to eat. And Christ is saying, I'm, not, I'm standing there and I'm knocking on the door, Christian. And if you'll open the door, I will come in and I'll sit down at the kitchen table with you. And I want to have a spiritual feast with you and I want to feed you. I want to refresh your soul. I want to give you spiritual strength through the truth of my word. I want to answer your prayer. I want to teach you. I want to transform you. And part of the problem is that so often as Christ is knocking on the front door, we're running out to the garage to get in our car to check off all the things on our to-do list. 
and we're too busy to spend time with Christ. But the other problem is, instead of sitting down to having the bread of life and the living water, we've got the Cheetos and the Doritos and the Little Debbie snack cakes of this world. And because we've got that junk food, spiritually speaking, in our system, we have no hunger for the things of God. Lenski said this, and I think this is a good admonition. We dare not misunderstand this divine right granted to every man to go to the scriptures in person. It does not mean that you and I have the right to interpret scriptures as we please. Your right and my right is to see and to find the one divine truth which the Spirit placed in the scriptures. And so with that in mind as a condition for our study of the scriptures as we truly ask the Berean Christians come with open minds saying, God, all I want is to know your truth and obey it. And if it is against, if it contradicts my preconceived notions or my previous understanding, then Lord, give me a spirit of humility to be taught by your Holy Spirit so that I may live out and understand the truth and walk in fellowship with you in that truth. And then the third thing is expect opposition. We saw this in verses 13 to 15. The Thessalonian Jews, when they heard that Paul, and, and I find this interesting. It does not say that they heard that Paul was preaching the gospel. It does not say that Paul had established a church. Look in verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the what? Word of God. They were going against the word of God. Did they really then believe it? Apparently not. It was preached at Paul, it was preached of Paul at Berea. They came hither, also stirred up the people. Immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. When they had conducted Paul and brought him unto Athens, and receiving a command unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So what's the third point? Third point's this, expect opposition. We've seen this time and again. But folks, we should expect when we are proclaiming the gospel and souls are going to be saved, that Satan is going to oppose that. You see, Satan hates God. So hate, Satan hates what God loves. And who does God love? John 3, 16, the world. So what does Satan want to do? He knows that he is condemned to eternity in the lake of fire. And he wants to deceive and to drag into that eternal death as many souls as he can. Do you not think then if we are ambassadors for Christ, if we are emissaries of the gospel, if we live testimonies of Christ that advertise the gospel, that we will not face opposition, of course we will. But I want you to see some things. First of all, just, just, just this kind of a practical note, Berea was in a different actual governing district than Thessalonica. So when these Jews from Thessalonica come to Berea, they would have had to trump up or find new charges against Paul and Silas to build a case before they could bring him. And maybe they learned a little bit from Thessalonica because when they went to Thessalonica and they stirred up the mob and they brought them before the Politarchs, the Politarchs really didn't take it that seriously. They just received bond money from Jason and said, if any more trouble stirs up, you're not going to get this money back. 
And so maybe they learned their lesson there and they were like, all right, we've got to build a case. And the Berean Christians were like, uh-oh, they're after Paul. They're after Silas. It would be wise for them to move on down the road. Souls have been saved. The church is going to be established. Some of the team was going to be left behind. But here's what I want you to see is that the ministry team, Paul's ministry team, already had a plan in place. Why? Because they anticipated opposition. Prudence anticipates possibilities and plans accordingly. They knew there was a possibility that there were going to be Jews from Thessalonica from another city, maybe Philippi, that would come and resist the gospel. Therefore, they had a plan in place. What did that look like? Well, they kept the plan that they had in place because they had, pers- they'd, they had experienced pursuing opposition before. So what was that plan? Well, they, the Great Commission being to make disciples, they left some of the team there. Paul was the main target of the Jewish opposition. Therefore, let's get Paul out of town. But part of the plan was we're going to keep some of the team here to strengthen and encourage this new church and these new believers and to instruct them and help them uh, to be strengthened and have a solid biblical foundation in their lives. So that was part of it. The Bereans, actually, they also, the team kept uh, to the part of the strategy in that they were going to reunite. At the very end, verse 15 The Bible says that Paul sent back those believers that traveled with him. The Berean believers, some of them traveled with him all the way to Athens. And then they went back and there was a message that Luke records. It's an important message. Send Silas and Timotheus to come to me later because we want to reach Athens. So also another part of their plan was is to work together as a team. When they went to a new city, there was a team. So Paul and Silas and whoever else was on the team, they would reach a city with the gospel. When there, if there was going to be such persecution and opposition that they needed to leave, and that was not always the case. There were some places where Paul and his team were in that city for a year and a half or whatever. So there were times when that did not take place, where they did not have to leave immediately. But they had a plan in place because they expected opposition and they had a prudent plan in place, which means leaves part of the team. Paul gets out of town. It protects the church. Uh, Silas or Timotheus or whoever else is on the team can stay there. And, and as the persecution lessens, they can continue to build the church And then at some point, when leaders are established within that local church, then that part of the team can rejoin Paul because as a team, they were going to then launch another gospel outreach into uh, a new area of ministry. So the Bereans escorted Paul down to the harbor, and then they went with him. It was about a, from Berea to Athens was 195 miles. That's a long way to go, uh, even in a car. And they didn't have cars. And uh, they didn't have... uh, powered uh, ships either. It was just wind power. Uh, They didn't have driven ships like we do today. And so these Berean Christians, there there was a bond there. And I believe that Paul would have used that time, even along the way, not only to fellowship with those men who went with him, but to further instruct them. I think strategically, probably what Paul did was took with him those that he saw had 
uh, the potential, the lightness. Maybe he saw or discerned with them spirit, certain spiritual gifts. And he said, these are going to be some of the leaders. This guy, he may be an elder. These guys, they may be deacons. I want to spend this time, since they're going to escort me for the sake of safety to Athens, I'm going to invest this time in them. Now, the Bible doesn't clearly say that, but knowing the pattern of Paul's life, that he was investing in, in his team all the time, in Titus and in Timothy and in others, I believe that that would have been consistent with his approach. So you say, all right, so how does all this apply to us? First, trust God to direct your steps. Maybe there are some decisions coming up in your life and you need to know, Lord, what's the timing of this? Well, the eternal God has impeccable timing. And God will lead you in his perfect timing. Uh, Our thing is to learn not to drag our feet when God is urging us forward nor to run ahead of God when God is working to pace us. So let's walk with him. Let's be patient. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Lord, order my steps. Whatever the place is, whatever the timing is, whatever the methods of ministry, whether it's a method that in, in strengthening our marriage spiritually or in rearing our children or whatever it is, oh Lord, we want you to direct our steps. We want to walk with you as you direct our steps. And then trust God to direct your thoughts. And that comes through spending time with him in his word. Be noble-minded like these Bereans and that you search the scripture daily and you receive with readiness of mind what the spirit of God has for you. And then expect opposition and plan for it. Be prepared. Do you know what? Paul and Silas and the mission team never gave up. They kept on ministering to fulfill whatever mission God had for them. And God will do the same for us by his grace. Be not weary in well-doing. In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received the same good news that these Berean Jews and God-fearers came to accept and believe? That Jesus Christ is the eternal, perfect, sinless Son of God who lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law that every one of us have broken. Because we've broken that law, we deserve eternal death in hell because God is just and God is holy. But God is also merciful and gracious and in love, he gave his only son to die on the cross to shed his blood as the full payment sacrifice for our sin. The perfect lamb of God died on the cross. He was buried and he conquered death and arose from the dead. He resurrected from the tomb. He is the living son of God and the only one who has the power and the authority to cleanse you from your sin and give you everlasting life. You say, Pastor Todd, how do then I come to him? How do I receive that? How can I be reconciled with God? The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you would like some help with that, please let one of us pastors know we would be glad to help you with that. Uh, We will have an invitation this morning, and so in a moment we'll stand, our heads will be bowed, our pianists will play a hymn of invitation, our associate pastors will be in the back. If you'd say, I'm not sure if I were to die today where my soul would spend eternity, please go back and let one of the pastors pair you up with a Bible counselor who will take you just to the privacy of a quiet room, sit down with the Word of God, and in a few minutes show you the, the way of salvation from the Scriptures you have any questions, they'll answer them from the Word of God. And you can simply call, put your trust in Christ today, and He will save your soul for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
Maybe some of you need to even this morning come here and kneel here at these steps and say, Lord, I want you to direct my steps. And some of the things that were spoken of today resonated in my heart. Lord, I just want to make sure that I'm following you and I'm coming to seek your will. And I want to dedicate myself, Lord, that whatever you would reveal to me, you show it to me and I will follow because I want you to be glorified in my life. For some of you, uh, maybe you need to say, you know, maybe there's some things in my life that have stolen my appetite from the word of God. And maybe I've allowed myself to become too busy to really spend time in the scriptures. And maybe the, today, this is the day when the spirit of God would speak to you about being a genuine Berean Christian and being one who makes much of the word of God in your personal life. And maybe you're facing opposition. The grace of God will strengthen you. The God will give you wisdom. Don't give up. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Father, in a moment as we give this invitation, man looks on the outward appearance, but you look on the heart. While some people may walk down the aisle and kneel and pray, or others walk to the back to get help, Lord, there may be others who at their pew just do business with you in prayer. And that's between them and you. But Lord, my heart is, and I believe your heart is, that they would be faithful stewards of the truth that you have spoken to them through your word today. And they would respond accordingly. So Lord, as the psalmist prayed, may our words, may our actions, and may even the thoughts of our heart be acceptable and pleasing to you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed. Would you stand though with me as our musician begins to play our hymn of invitation? If you're a believer and you'd like to come to the front and kneel and pray and spend time with the Lord here, you're welcome. If you'd like someone to give you biblical counsel or encourage you through prayer, go to the back and see one of our associate pastors. If you need to find the way of salvation, it's through God's word. We have trained Bible counselors who can help you with that. Would you go to the back and let someone help you?